Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm with a very interesting character who I just stumbled across, as many of my um, guests uh, I find that way, Jeremy Wartzman, uh, a graphic designer um, and director and founder of the Jackie Winter Group. So welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Um, Jeremy, you're not particularly easy to categorise. You studied graphic design, you came from New York, you do all sorts of things from print, motion animation, editorial and advertising, and you work with major advertising companies. How do you describe yourself? Or is it just one of those things you'd rather not? <laughs> well, when, sometimes when I do talks, I show a little photograph of the customs forms that you have to fill out. You know, you have to list your occupation, and it's just so much easier to put graphic designer. Even though that's not what I do, people kind of understand that a bit more. But I mean, we describe Jackie Winter as a creative production representation company or studio. So, I mean, there's so many arms of the business in what we do, and I think that's a necessity for any creative working now you know you cannot just rely on one income stream and so i've taken that philosophy and i've kind of extended that to the business so our our core business is representing artists um, mostly australian artists and kind of being the force that promotes their work and then manages their work and licenses their work and helps grow their careers graphic designers or mostly i mean we're mostly known for illustrators and image makers um but then we have um we we represent storyboard artists um type designers lettering artists animators, GIF artists, I mean, so many different things. Uh, and that's just kind of one area of the business, but that's kind of, I think, what we're most known for. Um and then we also run a gallery space, Lamington Drive, which has been going for the last eight years or nine years now. Um, we run an artist residency and guest house in the Dandenong Ranges called Jackie Winter Gardens. We help our um, artists um, produce and make products that we sell that are in Ma, you know, MoMA and the Smithsonian. So there's so many different arms to what we do. So it's really hard to describe, but I guess I'm, I'm, that's kind of what Jackie Winter is. It's, it's kind of a bit of everything. Um. Jeremy, we were talking just before we sat down about the print media mm. because it has changed dramatically. There has been, um, you know, a huge shift away from some magazines, but things are becoming more niche. And I think you mentioned the New York Times has never been more popular. It's had its largest, it's the largest readership ever. Do you think people are just getting more polarised with, you know, the discussion with, obviously, you mentioned with Trump and... Uh, how are things going, do you see? Things becoming more niche going forward? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's so interesting because, well, Jackie Winter came from a print background, and that's kind of my background as well. It was in print, in magazines. And the project that started Jackie Winter was called Is Not Magazine, which was um, a, a magazine that was on bill poster sites. It was in Melbourne and Sydney. We won the first um, Premier's Design Award for Communication Design with myself and Stuart Geddes, the co-founder there. Well done. Thank you. But no, it was that was a really fun project where it's like, well, we wanted to, you know, we were trying trying to find um, artists to, you know, to put in this magazine. And when I was working in America um, as an art director, I would be commissioning artists to do that. And you know, when I moved to Australia in 2001, that community wasn't here. So I kind of, we went out and kind of built it and then, you know, created or just were in the right place in the right time there. I mean, that's just a bit of background for me in terms of print. But yeah, I kind of, one of my philosophies that I love talking about that, that I really, I didn't invent this, but I really enjoyed is called um, 100 True Fans, which is by Kevin Kelly. He's one of the founders of, um, of Wired magazine, and he talks about how any artist just needs maybe he may have upscaled it to a thousand, but I think it started as a hundred. Where he said any artist who has a hundred true fans can make a career kind of out of that, and so you don't really kind of need to, um, you know, it, 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 if you could just focus on those kind of people, then 
you know, they'll buy everything that you do and follow you and all those kind of things. So I kind of see the media landscape shifting towards that model in a lot of ways because it's become so fragmented. And I think that I think it's a good thing in a lot of ways. I think in some ways it might be a reflection of what we were talking about earlier about our fragmentation of our attention spans and our attention in general, which I think is a is a as much as a physical and emotional and spiritual issue that we're all facing as a culture. But I think that from you know in terms of the work that we do as well, um, in terms of opening opportunities for artists, um, the more avenues that we have, especially with screens, because there's kind of screens everywhere, and people also every time you know one thing rises in popularity, there's a reaction in that. So when screens rise, then people want more tactile experiences and more um, you know physical experiences. So I have kind of seen you know I think I think we we saw a previous reduction in print, you know, because of the rise of screens, but now because of everything that's happening in screens, print is now kind of on the way up. But instead of kind of these institutions kind of being these huge global and massive, um, you know, monoliths, they're becoming much more kind of niche and focusing on their kind of smaller audiences. Um, and, and yeah, it's an exciting time to be working in, in the arts. I think it, it is. I mean, when I looked, I don't know if you ever saw the film, uh, with um, The I Should Travel, Deanne Freeland, one of my favourite films. And her budgets for the magazines were phenomenal. You know, she'd say, I want a 100 elephants for this shoot, and I'm seeing, you know, a million of this and a million of that. And she got away. Now everything's so on such lean budgets that how does that affect print? I mean, the New York Times obviously employs the best writers in the world. Well, not just the best writers, but, you know, the best coders and the best developers. You know, they the way they've approached, I guess, putting their content out there in new medias, like from their daily podcast, which is, you know, I listen to every day, to how they're presenting data information online is amazing. And how those all those people are working together. And that's one of the best parts about print and magazines that I really love. That was why I kind of got into print because you had these little kind of micro utopias of really creative people, you know, so you had, you had your editors and your copy, um, your fact checkers and your copy editors and your sub editors and your photo editors and your designers and your publishers, and your ad sales people. And they all existed in this, in this floor. And it's, it's amazing. And I don't know if you've been to the New York times office, but when you're in there, it's like, yeah, you feel like you're in this machine. It's beautiful. So I, in terms of how that affects things, um, yeah, like I'm, I'm not too sure how it affects things in terms of the mechanics of the organizations but leaner budgets have yeah they are really kind of difficult to deal with and i think what it some of the unintended consequences are that it it, it weeds out a lot of the people who might have tried to make an earnest living at it um which is kind of what i was saying before so many people are doing lots of different things and a lot of the artists that we represent and work with now really can't afford to be full-time illustrators or full-time designers so they're doing lots of different things and i think that is a reflection of how the budgets are kind of being divided but i do think we're seeing a bit of a reconciliation now and things are kind of evening out or or, or plateauing in, in a different way and kind of you know where the whole idea that all the budgets were being kind of spent in print and they weren't being spent in digital in a, in a certain way is now kind of that's all kind of changing and so um yeah it, it's it's an interesting time for sure um you don't have to answer this, um, Jeremy, but how did someone like you end up in Melbourne? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it be you still have an office in New York? You could have just stayed in New York and, you know, why Melbourne? What brought you to Melbourne and 
And how did the business start? <laughs> I think um, if you ask any kind of expat this question, you're always going to get the same answer, which is going to be boy or girl, you know? Like, and that's kind of what initially happened. I mean, I was working and living in Manhattan um, during September 11th and during the attacks. And basically, after that happened, I just kind of decided that I really I didn't feel comfortable or safe, you know, in, in New York anymore. And I, and I decided to leave and ended up in Sydney, basically. And um, we were talking before about, you know, you were talking about another guest who ended up in Milan and just kind of asked for a job, you know, somewhere over there. And I, I, I had a similar um, period of, I, I don't know if this was just sheer ignorance or, or hubris or what, but I, I walked into the immigration office and I tried to claim asylum and to say that my home country was a terrorist target and, you know, please, can I stay in Australia? And I pretty much got laughed out of the office and it was one of my most humiliating <laughs> incidents. So getting my visa and permanent residency was something that took a very, very long time. I was a dishwasher here for a while. You know, I was an art director pretty previously in New York and I couldn't get any work here because I couldn't get my visas and everything so so that's a um, leveler isn't it sorry that's a real leveler when you come out and you feel you know like being an art director and reached a certain point in New York and you're doing dishes in Melbourne must have been a pretty low point. It, it was it was pretty, very tough. I mean, I had a, you know, like I, I, I originally came to Sydney. I met someone in Sydney who lived in Melbourne. I came back and followed her to Melbourne and I really enjoyed the city. Um, and, you know, I just really fell in love with it as a place and you could see so much opportunity. And I still think Australia, like that in general, is is you know there's so much opportunity here still to this day and i just and i just really kind of wanted to stay it was a very special place um look i'm not an expert on new york i've only been there once and for a short time i found it it's interesting i found it quite a closed shop you have to know people to get in and a number of people said look that's the way the system works in new york you have to kind of know people be introduced i don't think australia's quite at that level Am I correct? Oh, I mean, there's there's so many. They really are so different. And that's the one thing that I always try to tell people when we're talking about this. And we're always talking about the differences and that even though they seem superficially like such similar places, both, you know, just Western countries and, you know, very kind of, you know, say the same food and the same, you know, yeah. looking things, they're so, so different, like really, really different yeah. in very kind of subtle ways. And I think New York is a very special place in, in that it, it's really kind of like, it's like this filter and it really kind of attracts, you know, people who have very kind of high levels of ambition and drive. And it, it if you don't have it or if you can't make it, it'll just kind of spit you out pretty quickly. quickly. Um, but it's, you know, it's just like anywhere else in terms of, you know, who you know and how you're kind of willing to hustle and all those things. But there's such an amazing concentration of talent there i think that's the one thing that makes it kind of so difficult in terms of how do you kind of rise above it how do you what are you doing with your own practice that is going to you know actually get people's attention and i think that's a bit ironic in terms of what jackie winter was meant to do so jackie winter is named after an australian robin that just happened to have my initials and um and the whole idea was like, well, I, I know all these amazing Australian artists. I've went to school with all these amazing Americans who are now kind of art directors and creative directors. I'm going to give these Australians ability to kind of, you know, it was so corny at the time, but take flight, you know, and, and get work in America. But that's not what happened at all. It ended up, it wasn't until 10 years later that we actually established our American office. And I think there's this whole idea now that Australia has a very, uh, has, it's almost kind of this sense of the exotic you know so so there's a certain kind of appreciation i think because of our geographic isolation but also because of our educational system in terms of how we train artists and creatives as well um it's in in america you you end up having work that just looks like your professor um where i think in australia there's not 
as many or there weren't as many options for commercial artists especially so a lot of people who ended up being um, illustrators um, or image makers or kind of fitting into these weird areas were doing them either as electives or they were kind of fine artists who couldn't make I mean not couldn't make it but couldn't um, couldn't find their feet in the fine art world you know so people were coming from these different ways and the work was really really unique in that way and so when we took it to America in a more kind of formalized way it's like it actually felt really fresh because it wasn't in this kind of echo chamber as well so it kind of it can it works both ways um, Jeremy you cover so many different areas how would you describe your typical day like what do you you know do you, do you work by project by project do you just work <laughs> you know do you just chop and change as the phone rings. I mean, how do you kind of structure what you're doing? This is something I'm, that's really I've been thinking about a lot recently because, you know, I mean, something like uh, the whole idea of attention is something that I'm really kind of interested in, in terms of, you know, training attention and also just realizing, you know, how my own attention span has strayed and how and the negative effects it has, you know, in my life. And I think that my job has become a very reactive type of role where it's really kind of sometimes you come in and you're playing whack-a-mole, like literally. And that's kind of sometimes my job as a manager because you know you there's only you at a certain point you reach your capacity of what you can do and then you hire more people and then they're doing their thing but now you have to kind of manage them and then th that kind of keeps extending until it gets out of control then you managers to, to, to train your managers etc that's how that's how businesses go crazy um so i guess at the moment my my role is very reactive i kind of get in and i and i just kind of see what kind of comes at me and i kind of put out the fires but at the same time since we hit our 10-year milestone i'm really interested in kind of now planning for the next 10 years in a more deliberate fashion and kind of trying to work on really bigger projects that kind of require a real deep focus which is which is really hard to come by so I, i'm actually in I'm, I'm trying to think about it right now how can i give myself that space and time to work on those things jeremy what's a big project that's coming your way or you're about to get involved in <laughs> so people can actually get a grip on you know, the breadth of what you do? Well, a lot of the work that we do, you know, I mean, the, the commission side of our business is kind of the biggest side. So, you know, when ad agencies or publishers, they call us up, you know, they have a campaign they need to produce, they have an image that they kind of need to make, they have something that needs refinement. Our job is, you know, getting you know, finding the right team to put together, managing that work and kind of doing that. Um, you know, I'm also try uh, one thing that I'm really um, been working on for the last two years is, is doing kind of more advocacy in for the kind of for creative businesses. So one of my big passions right now is all about licensing fees and how um, intellectual property is valued. And so, you know, creating this kind of website and a social campaign called use it or lose it, which is all about um, value based pricing, basically, because that's something I'm very passionate about, for, especially for creative workers, where you can't accurately price yourself based on an hourly rate you know you need to kind of there are all these different alternative pricing models so being able to train our clients and other artists in terms of how to properly value their work is something like that's kind of a big thing that i kind of work on that has nothing to do with the business or making money but it's something that is is i think is needs to be a safeguard for our business and and for the whole kind of ecosystem of creators, no matter where you are. And that's kind of some, that's another reason why I love listening to this podcast and I love being a client of other creative businesses. Like I'm so passionate about um, Australian architecture and working with architects as well. And I love how they handle projects and deal with pricing. And How do you work with architects here? What, <laughs> what are, what's your role? Any like, excuse that I have to, I mean, the, what, to work with you... an architect, I, I will, I will take. Um, Give I mean, me an example. Well, most recently kind of, um, 
Um, well, you don't mention names. Uh, no, I mean, most recently our office, you know, which we um, which we got to kind of completely, I kind of got and redo in Collingwood. So our office and our gallery space which was an amazing process. And because you spend so much time at your office and, mm-hmm. you know, being able to work with um, being able to work with another business and to be like for, for a business like ours that is so focused on client service and servicing other people to be serviced in reverse it it gives well, you so much perspective on everything you work with nest architects with nest correct yes and the office for people who don't know it it's it's in collingwood it's quite a, a different experience as an office it, it's it's not clear as to what you're entering when you go <laughs> in gallery on the first floor which is lamington drive then you have like a, a pin, uh, a, a, games, a games room, a games room that's kind of what do you call the game? Shuffleboard. Shuffleboard <laughs> that doubles as a board table, and then you have the kind of more serious office, and even a podcast. Your own little podcast unit on the top floor. The war room, yes. So it's not clear from the outside what actually this whole thing is about. No, I mean, and yeah, we have this beautiful kind of, um, you know, mural that's on there that's kind of like this Masonic temple of kind of day or night, you know, that's kind of, you know, that this whole idea that you're entering into this kind of sacred space, you know, which is, which is, uh, yeah, pretty much what, you know, what it feels like walking in there every day. Um, look, you work obviously with all types of creatives. What are the thing, what are the problems you see facing them generally? Is it just they don't have a voice or they're too scared to say anything and, they'll be dropped or um, they don't feel like they have any rights or I mean what is what are the issues you're seeing in at the moment I mean every creative has their own kind of unique set of issues and every industry as well also you know has has kind of the same um, so I think it, it, it is really kind of different um, there I think because there's so many people entering the industry you know that like there's there's a huge amount of oversupply in some kind of ways and so that creates a lot of kind of fear for for other businesses and so people are trying to kind of compete in ways that are unsustainable um and i think financially you know in terms of trying to it's that race to the bottom where if everyone kind of keeps lowering and lowering their prices and standards then you know what's going to be left there exactly so i mean that that i think is a bit of a universal problem that kind of spans all kind of disciplines but then then there are there are just kind of issues where um, some of, some of the issues are a bit more kind of personal as well for for kind of different artists in terms of people kind of working in isolation as well and so this whole kind of idea of a, kind of a freelance economy and people kind of working as freelancers you know creates lots of mental health issues and creates lots of um, you know logistical and financial issues as well so that's kind of something that's um, that we're, we're you know, coming up against as well, yeah. Um, Jeremy, if you see someone who's really talented, extraordinarily talented, and, you know, they're struggling, how do you try and help them? If they just walk into your office and they go, look, this is my work, I've been, you know, and you can see that they just can't find. Do you do you provide, like, a mentoring system? Sometimes I do. I, I, I mean, I, we have an area of the business called The Hatch, which represents kind of, you know, more emerging artists in that way. And so I love to, obviously, if I can find and support those artists who are on the cusp of doing doing something kind of great, um, then that's in everyone's kind of best interest. And I love doing that. I love finding it. I think that, though, it's a rare thing where if someone has, if if someone's kind of really struggling with their work, I find that it's one of two things. Like one, it's, it's just not up to a, a technical or a, t- a technical conceptual level, or they're just not doing enough work. And I think that's kind of something that I'm, 
it's you know it's again that thing of focus to be able to really focus single pointedly on your practice um in a way that you know where you don't have distractions or don't have you know instagram kind of telling you you're not good enough or all these kind of other things i think it's harder to maintain that focus to actually grow your body of work and i think that the the one common thing that i see is the people who it's it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be the most work it's like it's who had the biggest body of work or work that shows that kind of a lot of thinking like goes into it like i think in in the kind of work that we do talent is really kind of overrated in kind of some ways i mean because everyone is so talented now you know and and you can teach so many kind of different things you can learn so many different things but it's it's really now i mean i love the applied arts because there's that whole kind of commercial aspect to it it's like it's this idea that you're creating something and you're doing in collaboration with kind of commerce you know there someone else is is speaking through you know your your eyes and your vision to kind of make something and you need to take that person's opinions and needs into account and that's a very difficult skill and that needs kind of honing and crafting like anything else you know it's it's different for being a fine artist where you're just kind of refining your own aesthetic and really speaking your own truth and everything like that which i really respect but that's not my game um jeremy i imagine because i haven't dealt with advertising agencies it's not my (laughs) game and i'm really not keen to go there but i you know creative directors and advertising agencies uh, have a certain way of doing things. They have a vision, and it must be quite difficult for someone like you, who's very creative, to see a vision presented to you and say, "Look, I have a vision," but it's kind of misplaced or it's not on the mark. How do you kind of handle those creative directors of advertising agencies who really are losing the opportunity, or is it just they don't want to hear it? It actually hasn't really kind of come up in too many times. I think by the time something kind of comes to us, like it's been so workshopped and massaged and kind of almost kind of done you know where we come along at a sometimes we come along at a very kind of early stage but most of the times we're kind of in the middle or the end and i think that and that's kind of there's just as much beauty in advertising as in the editorial um um, scene that i was kind of talking about it's a bit more decentralized because there's a lot more disparate kind of businesses involved but there's still so many kind of people involved and i think my vision is more about the people that i'm making available to them so just by nature of them kind of working with us i don't want this to seem kind of like I'm so up on myself and our yeah. artists, but I really believe in them. I mean, they're amazing. They're amazing people. So by the time that it gets to them, it's like they've already <laughs> they've already made a good decision, you know. So, so you're in a sense curating the final. Oh well, yeah, in a way, like you know, yeah. I guess it's I have a very light touch in terms of the fact that I guess it's my vision that brings those people kind of together in the first place. And you know, there's right now, the ten years later, there's a lot other you know every kind of agency or any other kind of artist collective you know has a unique kind of aesthetic and vision. So by the time they've kind of already come and engaged with us, um, that's, uh, you know, that's already been applied in some sense. Um, I remember when I was in New York, someone said there's 400,000 creatives all looking for work at any one time. That kind of put me off. Do you find the competition, the competition must be quite, mustn't be as, you know, stiff as New York, surely, you know. In Australia? Yeah. Oh, I mean, look, I mean, every time, you know, every time someone graduates or starts up a new business or, you know, come, or is trying to disrupt an existing kind of, um, you know, existing an existing medium like yeah i i feel that a lot and especially when you run when you run your own business that's the biggest stress and it's like i look at something like photography like we were we had a partnership with a photography agency for a while and i think i found that to be a very stressful experience because when you have something like okay everyone's got amazing cameras in their pockets now everyone then thinks they're a photographer and now the value on what professional photographers do complete the bottom drops out so i'm kind of always thinking about the i'm trying to think now 
you know, you talk, we talk about big projects or what's next. I'm always kind of thinking about like, well, how can I put myself out of business? You know, what can I develop that's going to be the thing that's going to threaten us the most? And that really kind of motivates me, um, you know, to, to figure that out. So that's kind of what I'm working on next is trying to figure out what's going to be, <laughs> what's the biggest threat and how can I make that rather than have to respond to it. So I find that to be quite energizing in a way, and especially because I'm someone who's very motivated and, you know, and tied into technology in that way, because of that's kind of something that I kind of grew up with. And so I'm really trying to, we use tech in a very, very big way, um, managing all the kind of who are the people? Who are the people you employ? And what are, what are their backgrounds? Mo- the the majority of my employees are are technically called producers, um, but what that is is and where they come from can be anywhere. And I think a lot of them are actually disgruntled, not disgruntled, but um, artists. <laughs> no designers. You know, people who basically I think you know we're in the service industry, and it's something that I really like doing from an interpersonal perspective. And I like working with people and and solving their problems and make and like yeah and just kind of and yeah being being of service in that way and i think a lot of people who we work with they were kind of maybe people who were creatives and then they found well the most satisfying aspect of what they were doing was actually more the kind of client management side or was the kind of art direction side and that was the thing that i loved about being an art director because i started as a graphic designer and then it's like well i moved my way into being an art director because it's like well you're using other people's typography other people's um, photographs and you're kind of like a sampler you put everything together into a mix that's what being an art director is about you know and so being any kind of directors about just pulling these different talents together and jackie went is an extension of that in kind of many ways and i think the people that end up working for me are people who have those similar type of um those similar types of inclinations and they get they get kind of their joy from you know from connecting people and and being the thing that makes something happen rather than the actual maker of it so you see talking to you you see a slight growth in the print world coming through i wouldn't say it's kind of a very direct kind of growth i i I think things like the new york times which you know are already kind of a huge organization and kind of and getting bigger i think that's that's going to be very rare but i see you know lots more kind of niche publications um you know speaking to more kind of niche audiences and yeah I, i think as a whole that's probably the net effect of of print at least sustaining itself yeah and where do where do you see yourself in ten years' time, <laughs> Jeremy? Where do you see your world heading? It's a really good question. I think that um, I think that what's happening in artificial intelligence and augmented reality and virtual reality are, are really interesting, and I think they're going to be a much bigger part of our life than we all kind of think, and it's going to happen a lot sooner than we all kind of think. And so, I'd like to think that. Um, that I think the idea of kind of telling stories visually is is just an ingrained part of our humanity. You know, the first thing you do when you go to an art history class is you, know, you see those cave paintings, you know. Man has had to do that forever. I don't think there's going to be kind of a stopped, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to end. I think people are going to need to be telling stories in different ways and different mediums, um, you know, hopefully for you know for a long time i think that's kind of that's what our job is so um just the way we tell it will be different exactly the way we tell it's going to be different but and hopefully if i can be there to kind of facilitate that in some way you know that would be fantastic um but yeah like i'm also just kind of um (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm just really interested in how i can just continue kind of contributing and help kind of you know get get people together jeremy look Thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. I, I think you um, you do so many things. I don't know. I mean, I would have a migraine first thing in the morning. Uh, you seem to handle it quite well. 
<laughs> I don't know. You don't. Maybe it is that New York uh, history of just dealing with things quick, 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 quick. And you probably think Australia is quite slow in comparison. No, no, oh no. I mean, I, I, I love it now. You know, I live in the Van Long Ranges, and I kind of like my open spaces. And I, I'm really, I'm trying to kind of downshift, you know, to a very big, uh, a very, in, a, in a very big way. But no, thank you so much for having me. And, and I just think if anyone's kind of listening to this now, to really encourage them to go back to the archives of the show because it's an amazing oh, record you. of Australian design and like of every kind of discipline. And I think Australia has such kind of a rich history. And I think it's, 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 yeah. I, I, it is. It's quite amazing. For it's a small population compared to New York, but I think we do architecture design amazingly well. I mean, I think we do have this huge, this huge group of people that is quite phenomenal. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the distance. Maybe it is the sense that we have to prove ourselves. Uh, I don't know. Well, yeah, and and I think I think it's great that um that you've been documenting it. So it's, yeah, I'm really proud oh, to be a part you. of it. Thank you, Stephen. You've been listening to Jeremy Wartsman. He's director and founder of the Jackie Winter Group, and you've been listening to Stephen Crafty talking design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much for listening.